your samples tomorrow. Kirk Cousins had a good year. Quavo gets cooking. Get fucked. Whenever you're looking to gamble and you feel like you're getting something for free, and especially it's free money, it, it never is. I mean, they, they, USC plus money, that seems way too good to be true, and it, and it was. Yeah. Yeah. And Charlie, you were talking about the offense and stuff too, and they honestly didn't even play that great. They didn't. They <laughs> played bad again. Yeah, like I was, and you had seen too. If you watch any USC game, you're like, yeah, this is uh, the worst defense in the country, or one of the bottom units in the whole country. And Notre Dame couldn't move the ball <laughs> on them in the first half, and and kind of they. Uh, I heard a stat that Notre Dame had zero like drives where they. Had, of 10 plus play. So everything was explosive or, or they the, punted <laughs> this, this scheme was like, I, I thought the scheme was, was easy going up against that defense. It's like the secondary Swiss cheese, get some routes going deep over the middle and push the ball. I mean, we, I thought we did, run we did that minutes. once we did that once and it was a 55 yard touchdown. You know, it was like we we still were going so short, and it's like they can they're athletes. They they were covering the short stuff, and I was seeing these absolute just plabs on Twitter after the game. These USC dipshits talking about, oh, you know, well we 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 knew we weren't going to win anything this year with this defense, and they showed that tonight. And I, I was like, wait, 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 wait. Your defense did not get dominated. Your offense got dominated. Your offense got dominated. It wasn't it wasn't on your defense. You can't blame this one on the defense. Your offense that's supposed to be the second coming got absolutely manhandled, shoved into a ball, and slammed into the ground. And I, I was so glad to see that because I remember talking about this on here last year. I thought Caleb Williams was the most underwhelming Heisman winner we've ever seen. And if you look at it last year – ND did not have a great year uh, as as compared to this year. I would say this is a significantly better Notre Dame football team. USC didn't have anyone on their schedule last year. So it's like when you're going to be in the conference and the Pac-12 was not what it was last year, they were beating these teams down. I mean, Colorado was horrible. You're going to boat race them. He's going to throw for pretty much 600 yards against them. You're seeing it now where – I don't even think he's going to be a good NFL quarterback. I have I've never bought stock in Caleb Williams, and I think when you go up against a, a, an NFL scheme like Notre Dame was able to put together and a good defense of big, tough guys filled with four stars and five stars in there, chickens really came home to roost there. And I was just really glad to see it, honestly, because I have been so fucking sick of people – telling me USC can compete for a national championship. Like, no, they can't. They're a worse version of the Oklahoma teams we saw with Kyler and Baker. That That's exactly what they are. Yeah, it's interesting. There, There's a whole lot to unpack from that game as far as, like, Caleb Williams in the NFL, like, what's going on with him this year, like, all of that. So, like, first – uh, Notre Dame's DC, I, I know they always talk that he runs like a very complicated scheme and it like took, and he was there last year to um, where the players, it took them a while for them to like understand what he wants. And now like second year in the system, like they're understanding spots and they're reading plays better. So, and I'm not comparing Notre Dame to an NFL defense by any means, but I'm just saying that 
it's complicated. And obviously an NFL defense is way more complicated. And if, if Williams can't read that defense against Notre Dame, like it's only going to get harder. You know what I mean? And it's not like he got popped and like fumbled one and Notre Dame got it on like the 20 and there's your seven points off turnover. Yeah. These were ill-advised passes. It was all, all scheme, all reads for sure. Stanford or Arizona State and can just score 60. Dude, That's he was jumpy. That's he was so jumpy. Line. Yeah. Imagine uh, imagine a, a competent pass rush added in to like a, a scenario like that. <laughs> his, you know? footwork, his footwork, I think you were about to mention it, Chuck. It reminded me of what we saw out of, like, Fields last year. Happy feet, just up and down, never really square in the shoulders. He gets away with that a lot when you're playing these bad teams like last year. And, you know, granted, there's not, there's some really bad teams in the Pac-12 that he's shown, hey, he can make these throws. But even the ones where you're like, Kayla Williams, how did he do that? And ESPN's posting the highlight reel. I'm like, that's not a good play. Yeah. You're not getting away with that against the top 50 defense. So why do we think now when he's going to bring these happy feet to the NFL and always trying to move around? I mean, his offensive line is going to hate him. He's never going to sit in the pocket, square yeah. a deliver a strike. So so my, my big takeaway of Caleb Williams from that game is, you know, everyone loves, especially the college quarterback, that makes the plays out of the pocket. Like, that's what wins guys Heisman trophies. You know, outside of – Joe Burrow for the majority of the season, even though kind of what I'm saying is the biggest, most memorable plays were the plays where he's outside of the pocket. You know, you don't win a Heisman in the pocket. So yeah. he's really good because he has a cannon for an arm at making plays against poor secondaries after he prematurely leaves a pocket. So, Mark, what you're talking about Golden's defense and a big point of emphasis, as this is with almost any good dual threat quarterback is getting pressure with four right because you still need you know you still might be a nickel a lot of the time you you're you need to drop guys with the with caleb's arm and the receivers they have on the outside yeah so you even even having a spy sometimes too right so they were they were set on if we can get home with four and and mind you notre dame was bottom 10 bottom 15 in the country and all of fbs in sacks tackles for loss pretty high in pressures but we weren't able to get the quarterbacks down get the running backs down in the backfield um so you you want to get pressure with four the thing that that showed and this is where you know you guys talk going forward into nfl defenses we got pressure with four but what's the big thing with a guy that can make plays outside of the pocket you have to keep your lanes, right? You're, it's very important to not miss your or lose your lane. Every Pass single time, every single time outside of maybe one or two, which obviously he's going to get in the course of a 60-minute game, the second someone was getting home and he tried to make the move, the next guy on the D-line was right in his lane and he was forced right back into a into a closing pocket. And he was gobbled up and spit out. And they were they were using uh, Leah Fowl for a lot of that game, showing pressure, showing like a fifth man coming, and then drop stunting him back to spy. And that was tweaking him out all night because as soon as soon as he dropped, he's thinking, "Oh, if he's coming off the edge, then I'm escaping right, whatever." And then he sees the spy, so he's like, "Shit, this guy's spying me." And wait, now both down. Uh, 
middle def- interior defensive linemen are already four yards in the backfield. The pocket's not there. And I can't go make some, you know, little, I can't twirl it on the outside anymore. Every single time he tried to step up, he went right into the arms of Riley Mills or uh, uh, JBB. And it, it was so beautiful to watch because it was a complicated scheme and you have to get complicated to get home with four a lot of times. But it it all looked so foreign to him. Like it looked like any seeing a a in um seeing a disciplined D line coming at him, he he was he looked like a, just a mediocre to bad quarterback playing against a disciplined defensive line. Yeah, and it makes you think. What what other ones has he seen? He's also playing against probably the best secondary. I would say almost with complete certainty, the best secondary he's ever faced. And so they're going to make the plays if you don't make a perfect throw. They're going to be around the ball. And he, he was terrible. That jumped off to me what was last year. I, I I started to kind of see this Tulane. I mean, they're a well-coached team. I mean, they're usually the past three years, they've been a, a top of the line group of five team. They gave them fits last year and he could not do what he wanted. It's almost like. You know, if he's not playing the Arizonas and the Arizona State, I know Arizona got a game a run this year, but last year those were the games where he built his stats off. And I just don't think they had that challenging game other than Utah really exposed the holes in their defense, which we knew. Utah's well coached too. <laughs> so you you see a coach and a D coordinator that are basically going to say, hey, this is how we defend this guy. Um you know, and I think a lot of that film probably against Utah last year was watched by some of these opponents that are giving them fits. And I, I just, I, I'm not sold. I, I am not. I think he's very sloppy with the football. I think his mentality too. Like you throw three picks against Notre Dame in a, in a rivalry game. Those teams do not like, like that's, those are the games you got to win. If you're a, easily a been four too. Easily could have been four. And then he, and then he goes tweeting about how, He's talking about how I can just go back to college if I don't like the team that's going to pick me first. I can, I want equity in the team. Like he's you got the wrong mindset. You got the yeah. wrong mindset to me in the NFL. Yeah. You got the wrong mindset. You got to get better. <laughs> Joe Burrow is like the best prospect we've seen since Luck. Luck, the best prospect since Manning. Manning probably since Elway. Mm-hmm. Elway is the last time you saw a guy say that. And granted, Elway was able to back it up and win like three Super Bowls. I don't think Caleb Williams is doing that. You didn't see Burrow, Locker, Manning say, oh, I don't I don't want to do this. I'm going to go back to Tennessee. I'm going to go back to Stanford, and I can do this. I know the money's there now. That's fine. Maybe he should take another year. I mean, I'm honestly here for it. I think they'll lose more games next year. <laughs> have more defensive film to be able to watch. Teams are going to see what Notre Dame did. Hey, hey, if we, if we rush, if we have a discipline rush, Marty, to your point, we have a spy here. Take away the flat a little bit. Take away his easy easy routes like that. He's going to try and push the ball downfield. They have no run game. I, I don't think they're a good football team. I don't. He was their run game. That he It, it completely flipped the script because all his best plays were him running. And it, it almost flipped him to, like, make you think about a, a Jaden Daniels, right? And, and to that comp, Daniels against – other good defenses this year has looked better in the pocket sticking in the pocket than Williams did against Notre Dame. And I'll leave it. This will be my, uh, my last comment about the, the Williams thing in the performance. 
Notre Dame has this is the best defense since 2012. I think we have the best secondary I've ever seen us have. Not the best D line, but here the the difference between college and the NFL when you're talking about a prospect. Sometimes you just don't have the athletes to compete against someone like Caleb Williams, right? Like sometimes a team gets on is on the other side of the ball and the, the guys on they're just not talented enough or not athletic enough to shut down Caleb Williams. That happens in college. And there's a lot of cases of this. I mean, I go back to Northern Illinois playing in the Orange Bowl, the Husky, our Huskies playing in the Orange Bowl against Florida State. Incredibly coached team. Um, we had, you know, one of the best offenses in MAC history. We ran the table. I we deserved to be there, but uh, Jordan Lynch had one of the greatest seasons a quarterback has ever had in in FBS. But when you get lined up against Florida State, it it's just not the same athletes. They you don't big, have guys. They fast yeah. and they big. Exactly, exactly. It became okay. We're just going to snap it to Lynch. Put your head down, like direct snap. He was basically they basically had our starting quarterback running wildcat and they just didn't have the athletes. Sometimes you're going to look great because a team just doesn't have the athletes, no matter how great the scheme is. That doesn't happen in the NFL. No, whether you're the 32nd best team or the first best team, you have the athletes out there that can play against you and will play against you and will make you look bad. Sometimes if that's the case for Caleb, I think that exposed a lot of these blinders we've had on about, you know, maybe shortcomings of his or things that aren't so great. And I, I think it's concerning. I, I think maybe that's why he he kind of panicked a little bit and was like, OK, I, I want to own the team that drafts me. Yeah. <laughs> Who wouldn't? Right. <laughs> I mean, like, what, what an outrageous thing. Yeah, to me too, Caleb. Yeah, same. Yeah. Like, can, I, can I get drafted and just get – I mean, give me 1%. I'll take 1%. I mean, I'm a podcaster. I watch so much ball. I could I could give you one insight. Am I good for 1% there? I, I will say – I do agree that there kind of was the, just an anointing and the whole media – and I – like you said, we all had blinders on. Dude, I was guilty of it. I was, I'm th- I was thinking he's going to be the next great quarterback, the next great prospect because, you know, it's all you hear and – it, from people that are in the business. And then you watch that game. You're like, dude, what the, hell? like I saw a stat that last year um, <coughs> in his Heisman year, he had 36 big time throws um, for throughout the whole season or whatever. There's a stat on pro football focus this year. I think he had zero in that game. He's only at nine through what? Seven games. So more than halfway through the season, he's not even close to where he was last year. He's a fourth of the way there through seven games. Um, and so I don't know if the, if it's, he's like checked out. And that's like you said, dude, that's a fucking dog shit mindset to have for a league that only gets harder with all the points we've hammered home. Everything gets harder at the next level. And if you're, if you're just being content, you're like, yeah, I want my Heisman. Like I'm the shit, all this stuff, dude, he's going to get fucking killed. But yeah, that was no. I I saw that set. I wanted to just get that out there because I was surprised by it too. I'm like, damn, dude, he's nowhere near the level he was even a year ago. And, and the thing is, is they've reloaded the receiver position. That branch guy is a five star freshman. Like, 
he, he's got the ability to make that big playability. I know he had Jordan Addison, who was the receiver of the year guy two years ago when he was at Pitt, but they've reloaded it. I mean, the offense was there. It should have been on paper. And I just really think this goes back to that Utah film. I think if you're going to do it once, okay. And then they did it twice in the Pac-12 championship. They defended him and were able to win that game. I think Notre Dame got eyes on that footage. I just, it's a slippery slope. And I just do not think he's an NFL QB. Um, I, a good one. I I really don't see it. I, the, the Mahomes comparison, I mean, that is absurd. And they're saying he's farther along. We have never seen was. a guy do what Mahomes does. And you think, what, five years later, you're going to see a prospect. And because he does one thing where he drops a snap and then picks it up and yucks it downfield, that, <laughs> yeah. he's, that he's Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes is very special. He the does best, no yeah. one has ever done. He's the best mechanic quarterback we've probably ever seen with the abilities of things he's going to do. Look at these other great quarterbacks. And I know I named like Luck and Manning. Those are two in Burrow, very three different prospects and how they play the game. That is the model of the NFL quarterback. I know it's starting to change a little bit with the Lamar Jacksons, the Justin Fields, the Jalen Hurts, but Hurts is more of a great, you know, leader and decision maker. He, they they can run a QB power with him on on third and three, fourth and three. That's not their game plan, though. He can kind of get that. Oh, it's not there. I made all my reads. You know, the flat isn't open. I'm kind of going to jog it and get five yards. Caleb Williams is not in that. I don't. I think he's too sporadic, and I think he got away with a lot of these throws that looked good against a bad defense, but were actually mistakes that now, where have we seen that before and someone do it? Mahomes. So he's got to be Mahomes, right? No, no one is. Yeah. I mean, I mean, let's, let's take us, you know, disregard because Caleb Williams has not played an NFL snap yet. Let's take him compared to Justin Fields at this point in their career. Justin Fields dropped his draft in, in the draft for, for no whatever reason. reason, for really whatever reason. And hindsight's twenty twenty, whatever. But there there wasn't any reason for him to drop. Him and Trevor Lawrence were the top two quarterback prospects, one in two, one A and one B, since they were in like eighth grade together. And they both put, you know, had college football classic games against each other at the highest level, and they both broke records and, and they both had fantastic phenomenal. careers. <laughs> Justin Fields was more fundamentally sound and more disciplined in the pocket than Caleb Williams. I think they're similar athletes, but Justin is a more natural runner. So we're talking about Justin Fields, who hasn't done anything in the NFL. So maybe let's slow down on the Pat Mahomes talk, because I can I can take a guy that's struggling in the NFL from just two, three years ago, and I think that's a a better better comparison there there's one guy on the notre dame on that notre dame defense that he played that will be a first round pick benjamin morrison will be the only player on that defense that's taken the first round i'm i'm almost certain he will be a first rounder after next year i i don't i don't think anyone else on that defense is going in the first round there are teams if, if usc was the team that people talked about and i mean a lot of it goes along with you know what we say about the Heisman, and if you're going to win the Heisman. You got to win ten games. You might have to go to the playoff. Like you have to be a great team to win a Heisman. 
because for a lot of reasons you can't be a quarterback and win a Heisman if you're not leading your team to victories, whatever. But there are there are teams in this country with four first rounders on their defense. We had one and he couldn't do a thing. No one on that there might not be we might have one guy in the D line even get drafted on that D line. You know what I mean? So it, it, it's very concerning if you if you're a team that has been you know I don't know that it's the Bears even though the Bears have been sitting in that spot and all the the hype train of Caleb Williams like if you're a team that was thinking of risking it all for to get this guy you know there's been some serious conversations going on in those front offices over the last five days here's four here's days my guy. I'd love to I'd love to segue over to this in the spirit of quarterback. Drake May. I've been high on him since last year as a Detroit Lions fan who, who you know, we, we didn't know how Jared Goff was going to be. I, I You know, I'm ha- very happy now, and I think he's our guy moving forward. You, you don't know how a guy is going to go from moving from L.A. to Detroit. I mean, honestly, the whole nuance was who wants to play in Detroit, you know, by the time he came over. So I think a lot of people were saying, like, wow, this, this could be, you know, a guy in Drake May. So I started to get really invested in him and and his ability to prove himself as a potential number one overall pick. That is a guy who is a silent killer in college football this year. I think he's consistently dogged in Heisman rankings. I think he's consistently overshadowed by a guy like Shadur Sanders, like a guy like, I mean, hell, J.J. McCarthy, I think he's great. I think Drake makes a lot better quarterback. I'd rather have him. I'm saying that as a Michigan fan. I think Caleb Williams is overshadowing it. Drake May is putting together a silent, undefeated team in which they beat rival South Carolina in the first game. He's putting together a great season here. They beat Clemson, I think, right? They play Clemson this year. And then they have Florida State on the schedule. So we talk about these Heisman games and stuff. That's a guy I'd maybe circle as throwing a little cash on right now. He has a great game against Jordan Travis in that Florida State offense or the Florida State defense. We're looking at a potential 12, 13 and 0 football club with a guy. So there, there's the team aspect of it. And then he's having a silently good season. He could find his way in New York and potentially be in that number one overall pick. I, I'm really high on Drake May. I have been for the past, I want to say, couple of years, as I mentioned, being that Lions fan. I think he reminds me more of that stereotypical pocket-passing quarterback, prospect, lock, burrow, manning, et cetera, rather than it's it's too it, – the media is more caught up than – I don't want to say like – because obviously NFL GMs are very good at what they do, and I think they love what they're seeing in, in the potential there. But I just think that the fans and the media see what the guys on Sunday, like the, the fields running the ball – and in the Hurts running and, and Lamar, and they just are like, oh, my God, we need that guy because then we can run the offense just like Baltimore or just like the Eagles. And I, I don't see it. I, I don't. I think if you get your guy and then Drake, man, I think he's a lot better of a prospect. And, and I'm I'm high on him. Go heels. Go heels. You, you mentioned earlier about feel or about Hurts. And I do think his best quality that he's shown so far is his leadership, genuinely. And that's that's rare, especially for a guy that young. I mean, if you're talking about the intangibles, like leadership, right? What did Caleb Williams do when just for the first or second time in in a couple of years, 
he's faced with, you know, not any adversity, any adversity. He's he was absolutely bitching at his guys on the sideline when there was more he could have been doing. That is I I have never seen Jalen Hurts do that. I have there's very few quarterbacks that take the. Well, at, at the very least, you don't do it that way. Right. You could you can express. And I mean, Tom Brady was famous for this, getting his old line together. And, you know, maybe maybe those words are coming in a little harshly, but it's coming from a place of, you know, um, you know, pride and hope and I trust and su- support to support, trust, support like he he looked like he was telling his guys they suck. He's this. He's that. And like I'm I, sucking like, because of you. That's yeah. Like. Right. And and that that is another massive red flag. So, you know, I I do think he's an unbelievable athlete. He's shown he's shown me a lot. I mean, I don't think he gets enough credit for how fast he is and how good a runner he is. But that's not the reason he's getting the Mahomes comps and all these. The reason the the parts of him that have gotten him this hype have all just been slowing and slowing and slowing. And that's, that's concerning. That leaves it open for serious conversations about other guys in this class. And what are, all right, can we, can we now look objectively at guys as maybe the best prospect in this class? Because we had tuned everyone out because we had crowned Caleb Williams. You know what I mean? You said, may might not have been getting the credit he deserved i think that's definitely true how can a guy get as much how can a great prospect get as much credit as he deserves if a guy has already been anointed the best player the best prospect the best future pro you know what i mean dude and a big part of i know we've talked a lot the uh, a lot about the nfl in this episode too where if you look at each of those the guys that like every the best quarterbacks around they're dude, they're all leaders. You know what I mean? You, these are professional, these are professional athletes that are all getting paid. It's hard. Like, especially when you're younger as like, say whatever, Trevor Lawrence is like what? 24 or something like, how can he, like, you have to be a leader to be able to motivate some 31 year old, like Lamar or Justin Houston type veteran, like on the, you know what I mean? Just like some guy who's been around the block. It's like, who the fuck is this guy telling me anything? And if, if you're coming from a place where you're like, you think you're the the shit and not like humble or, and it's hard to be humble when you're going to get paid $300 million or whatever that these quarterbacks are getting paid, but like, not like be respectful. Like I, I see like if Caleb Williams goes to a team next year and loses 13 games or something, if some dog, if he goes to the bears and bears are still dog shit, like we always are. And like he's gonna snap and start going at the media, start going at his team. It's like the Jaguars took Lawrence, uh, number one. Dude, they went one in fifteen. And yeah, Trevor Lawrence is a big ass dork, and like his his motivational speeches and stuff were kind of corny. But like, dude, he never like he was never like reaming or throwing people under the bus, reaming people out. Like, and that gains respect in locker rooms. And now look at the Jaguars had a good season, and now they're prone to win it again. The uh, their division. So it's. It's things like that where building blocks, especially as a rookie, dude, if he's pulling this type of shit, he's got a lot to learn. I think the perfect but. example of that where, where you kind of said the gaining of the respect could be pointed to what we're seeing this year with C.J. Stroud and a blue chip right tackle in Laramie Tunsil. 
That's a guy yes. who is now being convinced, okay, that C.J. Stroud can win us football games. I'm ready to show up to work every day, getting the line going. All of a sudden, the offense is clicking. Like, it's that mutual respect there where obviously, you know, as a quarterback coming into this league, you know, you're getting hit by guys who you haven't been hit by before, you know, and that kind of weight, that kind of force. It's awesome to have a tackle like that. I mean, not many can walk into that situation. The only one that really comes to mind is like Purdy with with Trent Williams. That's a, That could be another example there. But Stroud has been damn near perfect in, in his first, uh, what, six, six games, five, six games. And, and it's that you, you see that it's that calming presence. He's got kind of that Jalen Hurts-esque to him where you feel this is a general. This is a guy who's rallying the troops. He's got us ready to go. And I don't see that out of Caleb Williams. I don't. So I, to- enough- I totally agree with that Stroud take too. That he's along the same lines as like kind of like Hertz was in that calming presence. That's a good point. Uh, and then another part that goes back to you know kind of the, the how important the temperament of these guys is, and that's you know that's why they do these you know the interviews and you sit down. And I know there's all the famous Jim Harbaugh ones with. Uh, uh, Jameis, some of the best content out there. But the reason you do that is because if you're that prospect, you're going to a bad team, right? That's that's what's consistent with top quarterback prospects. You're going to a bad team. You're going to a team that won probably less than five games. Probably less than that, but at most five games. When you're If you are doing stroud the example this year you're not winning pretty every game that you win is they're ugly games they there's going to be turnovers there's going to be miscues there's going to be penalties because your team is in the early stages of a rebuild right that's you're the you're the big part of it so the games are ugly there's there's nothing pretty about those games and like you said with trevor lawrence going one and 15 those are some ugly games but when you see a guy that's in these ugly games and the offense doesn't look great, there's not a ton of skill. There's not a ton of top skill guys around. You're learning an offense. You're learning what kind of things you're, you know, you're seeing things de- You're seeing defenses do things that you've never seen before. You need to be, have an incredible, incredible sense of, you know, um, trust and, and resiliency because you're going from all these guys come from blue chip high schools. They go to blue chip colleges and like, just like there's zero, a, there's zero a, adversity. There, there's a good chance. Caleb Williams had never lost a game by four touchdowns in his life. There's like, I'd probably bet that he hadn't, that was probably the worst loss of his with a helmet on in his life. So there that's going to happen next year. In his second year, Trevor Lawrence went to the playoffs what does that show you? That shows you, yeah, those those videos of his pregame speeches, yeah, they were funny. Like, it was funny to see him because you're comparing it to, you know, Drew Brees, who was the best at it. Those were, like, the ones where everyone's going to run through a brick wall. Yeah, maybe he's not the greatest motivational speaker, but you don't do that in your second year coming off one win or third year coming off a couple wins if you're not, if you don't have the temperament, if you don't have the wherewithal, and you don't have a trust in your guys. Like he, he strikes me as the kind of guy that will be bitching and moaning. And he already is. He doesn't want to go. He doesn't want to get drafted by a bad team. 
even though he's the number one prospect. Like that, that's part of it, bro. That's part of the path. Everyone has to do it. That's where you earn your stripes. And we we're seeing guys. I CJ Stroud, who I, you know, didn't like particularly. He's made so many fans this year because he's he's tough. He's clearly a, a leader. And this Texans team is scrappy. Are they going to win the Super Bowl this year? No. Will they win a playoff game this year? No. Are they looking 10 times better and, and 10 times closer to where they want to be than what you Third thought? Game the win yes. Yes, they are. Like and I, two weeks ago, they scored with a minute left. And they honestly, the a veteran probably doesn't leave that much time. And that that's that's the only difference there. You win two weeks ago against the Colts. You're probably or I can't remember who they played. It was was it the Falcons? It was the Falcons. Oh yeah, against the Falcons. Yeah, they just leave like too much time on the clock. There was like a minute fifteen left. I mean, that's the only bummer there. And he would have been at his win total, their win total, and that is a huge step forward. I think I think we're all spot on here. Honestly, I. The only thing I'll say about Jacksonville is they had Urban Meyer benefit where he just ruined the the entire uh, organization. So then they got to take Trayvon Walker again, first overall. Um, but you absolutely saw that second year leap. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm not I'm not in on Caleb Williams. Yeah, I mean, if if he keeps playing like this, it'll be interesting. There, there's already murmurs, but um, drafts drafts will be. You're, we're going to start seeing some Drake Mays number ones coming well, especially up. too when, when they have games on their schedule against Oregon. They have games on their schedule against Washington. Those, those great, they have great quarterbacks. We just saw that duel last weekend where both quarterbacks looked pretty damn good. Yeah, four four touchdowns against Miami last week, Drake May. Yeah, I mean, May, I'm hot on him, but you're going to see primetime games where he plays other good quarterback prospects in, in Phoenix and in Knicks, and yeah. I don't think he's going to look as good. I don't. You know, it, it brings me back to three words that I've heard for a very long time about every team. And this is, this is when you, you know, they come, they come up and you start really thinking about how true it is. Winning cures all, you know, you're not, you're not talking about Caleb Williams temperament or ability to bounce back or how he, his leadership when you're winning games, because you're winning as soon as you start losing you know, these things come back to the surface, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of a band aid. It's a band aid on a gunshot wound for a lot of things. You start losing you, things, start getting exposed. Oh, we, we weren't paying attention to that because they were six and oh, we weren't paying attention to that because they won 10 games last year, but yeah, they're going to lose more games this year and they might lose badly again to a couple teams that they have left. And these things are just going to be bigger get bigger and bigger and they're going to be bigger bigger bubbles that are going to pop in the entire you know the entire um profile his entire profile so if they if he plays a little better and they beat Notre Dame you know may, we're not we're, we might not be talking about these things as much as we are but they're so blatantly obvious when thing you really you learn a lot about a guy when he's when he's down, you know, Absolutely. and and 
that's why, you know, there's the third year thing in the NFL, because by the third year, normally your team's a lot better than you were than it was in your first year. So it's like we learned a lot about you when you were down. You can tell a lot of times what a guy's doing when his team's winning two, three games, what he's going to be when his team gets better. And it's just, you know, there there's some real holes in it. And there's been prospects like this in the past that just, you know, they never lost. Yeah. So they don't know how to react to a loss. They don't know how to treat their teammates when they lost. They don't know how to treat their teammates when they fuck up, you know, like, there's the guy, there's the the famous clip, I think Jalen Hands on UCLA. Granted, might not be the best example because he hasn't done anything after, but team turn or teammate turns the ball over, bricks a layup, whatever, and he literally puts his hand under the kid's chin, picks his head up, like literally does it. You know, you you're not able to do that if everything's going perfect all the time. Yeah. And nothing goes perfect all the time. So and honestly. To, to tie this back into really just the college football landscape as a whole, you needed to win this one if you're USC. That was the start of a six-game stretch in which they play five ranked opponents. They had to go at Notre Dame next week or this coming weekend. They play Utah at home. Then they go easy game at California, Washington at home, at Oregon, UCLA at home. I mean, that that's they got right there. You got five games left against four ranked opponents, two quarterbacks who are absolutely buzzing right now. Maybe even we see Cam rising this weekend. I don't even know where, what his status is. Frankly, I haven't all season. I thought he was starting. I think he's going to be out for the year, dude, if he hasn't oh. played yet. Yeah. So, Which stinks, but. You know, USC, I'm writing them off. Uh, I think they're just kind of a lost cause. I, I think they get. I think they lose at Oregon. I think they win at home to end the season against UCLA, but. I think this weekend could get a little hairy against the talented and well-coached Utah team. To our point earlier, um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna put the the game at home against Washington as kind of a toss-up because if Washington's defense doesn't get off the bus, um, to give Caleb Williams a little bit of props, he can light it up. Uh, oh, of so course, he, dude, he's he, a Heisman he, Trophy winner. That's all. We're not we're not saying that he's ass by any means, but yeah. just. Yeah, it's he has some questionable parts. He's not he's not perfect. Absolutely. I wanted I wanted to jump and I think it's I think it's in line with what we've been talking about. Um I'm not I haven't checked to see if Michael Penix has sent his thank you card to Al Golden yet for maybe giving him the Heisman trophy on Saturday. But I want to talk about Michael Penix because a lot of the detriments we were talking about seeing in South Bend this weekend for Caleb was not the case with Michael Penix. He quite literally got punched in the face. He got laid out. He was clearly, he was clearly hurt. He was frustrated. Uh, the Oregon comeback in, you know, we can get into, you know, what really, you know, did Oregon lose that game or did Washington win it? I think both are true, but Michael Penix showed me so much in that game about his temperament, about his leadership, and about how he is able to bounce back. And, you know, started off, he's got the great arm, the great accuracy. We saw it at Indiana when they had a solid team. But no one scared. No one was scared of Indiana when it got later in the season, into November, December. That game against 
an incredible Oregon team who is not out of it. He showed me so much more as a prospect than Caleb did on Saturday for many reasons. What, what was, what did we like in that game? And do we think that this, do we think that that head to head win make, is that, is Washington better than Oregon majority of the time now? Is that because, I know this Pac-12, we've we've kind of been trying to figure out how to stack these teams. Is Washington at the top now, or could it still be Oregon? No, I I think if that game's at in Oregon, Oregon wins. Like that's these schedules of college football. It's obviously if it's rare you get teams that are so close and so good, but like having the home, you're like, bad dude. We got we got a team this year, and we got Oregon at home this year. Like, let's go and. It's such a big difference with with hearing with every, just everything environment like app like juice your guys are ju- but that's besides the point the games happened and if Oregon can we know that this Pac-12 is a gauntlet um I would I still think they're probably a better team than Washington just because they have a real deal defense and Washington's kind of shaky and. I, I would Phoenix is better than Bo Nix, but Bo Nix is still probably a top 10 quarterback in college football. Um, so I would love if Oregon were to be able to run the table and get Washington again back on a neutral site where they don't have that home atmosphere. And I bet you in that game, Oregon's going to be favored would be my guess. But yeah, I would. They're right there. I mean, <laughs> it's not like that game really separated either of them from each other, you know, like they're exactly they're right right next to each other so washington 1a oregon 1b and then i would probably throw oregon state right behind the those two i think oregon state's better football team than ucla i mean uh, usc um personally and then probably usc and utah without rising is is tough because they could they're right up there with all of those guys if they had them but they haven't so I would probably throw UCLA five and then maybe Utah six. And then the rest, it doesn't matter. But those are the I, I big guys. I think it's interesting because the, the line was three and a half for that game, and it was at Washington. Um, you've heard in past where it's like, oh, you usually get three points if it's an even matchup, straight down the middle. It's coin yeah. flip. You're usually going to get three points being the home team. So I think that goes to show that it's really a pick on a neutral site game. Uh, I am really interested with this because I think we're really caught up with, you know, obviously we talked about it a lot in the last, you know, 15, 20 minutes with USC. Notre Dame's not in the Pac-12. I mean, USC is still sitting on top of the Pac-12 here. People are forgetting that. So I think, and they don't have Oregon State on their schedule. Who Oregon State is um, hoisting one of the best uh, home records in, in college football recent memory that I can that I can think of. So when I look at this schedule and I just pulled up Oregon State's out of curiosity, they host Washington and, and then they have and then they play at Oregon the week after. I think they're going to get one of those games. I'd like yeah, to say I, th- I think so, too. I agree with that. But they take. Also play Washington really tough, maybe lose and then be fired up to go into Eugene Civil War. So I, I think it's really interesting. And I think, honestly, if you look at it, Oregon State is kind of, in my eyes, more so in the driver's seat to get to the Pac-12 championship, having the record that they do with, I think, only the, what, the one loss? I they think dropped it to Washington State, dude. Looking back, it's like, damn. 
I know. And Washington but, State sucks now. But they just yeah. beat a talented UCLA team at home. They play yep. Arizona this weekend. Colorado looks like they can just boat race or Colorado. Stanford, and then we get into those two games I just yeah. You yeah, so they're those? they'll be there with one loss going at hosting Washington. Absolutely. So then I mean, obviously we still gotta see, you know, Washington plays at USC or USC plays at Oregon. I think those are kind of our top three, four teams, which I don't think anyone's going to argue with, but Utah could play a little spoiler and, and beat one of them. Uh, I, I think it's very interesting and in how this is going to work out. Looking at Oregon State's schedule, though, I have to believe that they're going to be, at the worst, a two-loss conference team. And with the, with the, with the high, with the, how good the top is and, and then still kind of having to play each other down the stretch, one, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have a lot of good football games. But two, I think they're going to find their way into that. I, I think we could even see them play Oregon back-to-back weeks, which would be very unique. Um, but it's interesting. I, I don't really know if it's if it's even fair to kind of use that game. I, I think what we're kind of doing here is we, we kind of thought we saw the game in the Pac-12, and then USC did not look good. So now they're kind of written off, and it's like, well, I think those two teams are better than Oregon State, so we kind of in our mind here are thinking we're going to see that rematch on a neutral site. I'm saying not so fast, my friend. Um, Dude, it's going to get interesting. Beach, I love, I, or, I like to hear you say that, and I didn't know how the schedule was shaking out for Oregon State, but I got ten bucks on a twelve to one Oregon State to win the Pac-12 ticket. Yeah. So I'm I like sitting. That. I think it's down. I think they're down to seven plus seven hundred or something like fourth best odds. So. If they if they get to that Washington game with one loss, I I like how that ticket's looking because all they got to do is get into the championship game, and then I can hedge or it's a toss up or anything. But yeah, I just I was riding the DJU train coming into the season, and it's paid off so far. Yeah, and that now fucking I fucking Washington State game though, goddamn, especially with how they look now. Now with Washington, you know, the the USC is going to make things a little interesting because. I do think if you could point to two games that Washington can lose on their schedule remaining, I think it's that at Oregon State, and I think it's at USC. Uh, Now, I think they do feel pretty good about that, having already beaten Oregon at home. But I'd be pretty shocked if we saw a two-loss Washington team by the end of the season. So I do think they find their way into the Pac-12 championship. And then you got Oregon Oregon hosting Oregon State. I got to believe Oregon wins that game. Oregon USC is kind of going to be maybe the deal breaker here where it's like that could really shake out how things are going to work where it's not as easy as like the big 10 East where you got Michigan, Ohio state and Penn state and worst case scenario, they all beat each other. This, you got four or five variables in there of teams who could really shake things up with just an exciting end of the season. So honestly, looking at these schedules, I really think that Oregon State is in a position to be a two-loss team. Uh, And I think, you know, with Oregon having a favorable rest of the schedule with with hosting uh, USC, I think they beat USC and they're a one-loss team by the end of it, barring a loss at home against Oregon State. So I would like to see washington oregon again because i do unbiasedly believe that they are the two best teams in the pac-12 and i think that could be a pick game to maybe send you to the playoff which would just be electric who doesn't love that in college football but oregon state kind of nipping at the heels of these guys especially when you're playing the two top dogs to end the season 
uh, a win against Washington at home. I mean, you're you're feeling great, um, and especially with how highly rated those team two teams are, and probably only going to get you know higher ranked uh, to end the season. I mean, is Oregon State a playoff team? I mean, if they go twelve and one, it, I mean, are the Beavs? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that'd be a road win to end the season against Oregon. That'd be a home win against Washington. And then probably play in Washington again. I mean, if they beat Washington twice and Oregon once without what much we've been talking about the Pac-12, I think it's certainly up for a conversation. We'd have to see kind of how where the dust settles. But who had that in their bingo card? Uh, you know, a week, a week 13, 14, possibly talking thieves to the playoff. I know I did. Fire up Beavs. It's palpable buzz in Corvallis. This is Beavs podcast now. Exactly. I know. I got to so, ride. You know, talking of the gauntlet that is the Pac-12 with just the volume of, of talent. And the, the thing I think that sets Oregon State up for success here is they have the defense. You know, like we, we talk so much about the offenses all over. We mentioned, you know, if we're not, if we're sold on that Washington defense or not, I know Oregon's got a solid defense, but Oregon State has a great defense and a defense that Oregon State and Utah, right? They have the two best defenses. And one thing I, I think we're starting to learn about the, you know, in the recent memory of, of college football is defense doesn't win you national championships. But it, it is a lot of times what can get you there. And, you know, USC last year, just, you know, we talk about how unbelievable this offense is. and, and it, But they didn't have the defense to get them there. Could that, could that offense have put up points against Georgia? Yeah, they could have. But they didn't have the defense to get them there. I don't know that Oregon State or Utah will have the offense to get them to the promised land the high, you know, the, the pinnacle, but they have the defense that can get them there. And, you know, in, in a lot of ways, as a Notre Dame fan, we had a defense that could have gotten us there this year. We had, you know, the slip up against Louisville and then, you know, choking against Ohio State, but that's the kind of defense that you need to even get there. It helps when you have Joe Burrow or Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields or Mac Jones, Najee Harris, Devontae Smith. Those are the those are the players that win you national championships. But there's a couple defenses in the Pac-12 that can get them to a Pac-12 championship and maybe a one-loss conference champion. And you know, there's there's a lot of ways in where a, if a, if there's a with with the remaining schedule that these teams have, one loss in the Pac-12 championship, it would be incredibly hard to see that team not getting in because I you think know what I mean back them up against maybe a one loss Texas or Oklahoma and I'm certainly taking a one loss Pac-12 team over a one loss Big 12 team this year so then we get we'd get rid of one of our power five schools and I just think with how strong the Pac-12 is you can't discount that and put in an Ohio State or a Michigan really the loser of that or a Georgia or a Bama you know the loser of the SEC championship I I, I it's awesome. I, I think, you know, I wanted to see this last year where it's kind of Armageddon at the end of the season with, oh, my God, we got five power, five champions who are really good ball clubs with one loss. And then we have three conferences with 
maybe even four if North Carolina keeps doing what they're doing with great second-place teams in there. And I, I think really to even harp on that defense a little bit more, you're kind of getting a huge benefit if you're Oregon State, and you just said they're one of those top two defenses in the Pac-12. Well, they're going to be having 11 weeks to game plan, 11 weeks of film to be watching on Phoenix, to be watching on Bonex. One of those games at home, one's on the road. I think that really says a lot. That's a huge aspect of it where you get a good defensive mind for a coach, you got a good ball club on defense, you're playing these two teams at the end of the season. That's where things can get a little bit interesting. I mean, I think the same thing goes to speak for the Big Ten East as well. I mean, I know we got Ohio State, Penn State this season or this weekend, but that's still on the latter half of the schedule, so to say. Michigan, Ohio State obviously always playing at the end of the season. But it's it's that. It's it's good defenses, good defensive coordinator, good game planning. I think if you're the Beavs, you got to be feeling pretty good right now. Yeah, I don't know if you guys saw um... – that scenario on Twitter. I don't know it like off the top of yeah. my head, but where there was eleven teams sitting at one loss. I think for... I said that in our little uh, in our little chat <laughs> you know, where we talk about what we're going to give you guys on a weekly basis. But yeah, but that's and that's the testament too. We even so, dude, everybody saw this coming after the first like two weeks of the season. You know what I mean? Like you got Florida State coming out hot, like all these, and you're like, God damn it, dude! They couldn't have had the foresight like looking at. Uh, the rosters on these teams with NIL, you got kids coming back. You got fucking stud quarterbacks all around college football. That and then we only quarterbacks. We're, we're knocking out like half, half these teams that would, that definitely could still win the national title. You know, it, it does suck, but. It's, so I hate seeing that. I just want to comment on that. I hate seeing those Twitter things because I have this picture somewhere in my camera roll where there is a hierarchy. There is a list one to five of criteria to get in the college football playoff. It doesn't matter where you're ranked before conference championship week. The conference championship was invented to get two of the best teams in the conference to play each other, to crown a conference champion there. Conference championship is the number one criteria. If you're not winning that and you have the same record as the team that won your conference championship, you are not in. That is how it works. I think the only way it gets a little bit hairy in, is where one gets left out, where you see, let's just throw out some teams. You see undefeated Georgia SEC champion. You see undefeated Michigan as or Big Ten champion. Florida State. And then you see Oklahoma. And then we see Washington. That's unfortunate, but one's going to get left out. And I hate to say it, but it's got to be Oklahoma this year with how strong the Pac-12 is. So one, one thing I, I, and I'd been meaning to mention this. So you talk about, how it's still possible that we can have, you know, five power five conference champions that are undefeated in a world where we have five, one loss conference champions this year, as of right now, October the 18th, 40% of the AP top 25 do not have a ranked win which is staggering. And I think, you know, the, the realignment that we're seeing in the next couple of years will, will kind of help that help that along because it is, it is crazy how, how deep we are now with some teams still being unproven. But my, my point is this, with that being said, with 40% of the top 25, not having a ranked win yet, 
a one-loss Pac-12 team, no matter who it is, will have the best, in my opinion, will have the best merit on getting into the college football playoff. Whether that's Oregon State, whether that's Oregon, whether that's Washington, whether it's USC, who like whoever it is, you have to take first from the winner of the best conference and the deepest conference, right? So I, I think because of history and you know where the, the Pac-12 has been, you know, a lot of people oversee that. But I think, you know, and, and it's so funny to say this now. But Alabama, right, has one loss to Texas, and they'll probably have one loss playing Georgia in the SEC championship. Getting through a talented Tennessee team and a talented LSU team. Yeah, like as as funny as it is to, to, you know, say something along the lines of writing Alabama off early, but like if there's a one-loss Bama, a one-loss Florida State or – maybe UNC and uh, let's say a one loss Oregon state and a one loss Michigan, Oregon state. If that's true for Oregon state, they will have the best resume. So in my opinion, the one loss team with a conference championship that had the toughest schedule and had to get through the most to get there should be the top seed in the college football playoff. Oregon state. Number one, number one overall. Like, like in that, in that scenario, you know what I mean? Because it's like, what can we draw on now if we're starting from zero, right? 12 and one conference champions. Okay, there's five of them. At least we're only picking from a pool of five. But I think the only thing that you can even register remotely that's fair is how tough the conference was. Ranked wins on the road, what, you know, defending home field, whatever it is. Like if they run the gauntlet that we just outlined, that will be the toughest of them all. And it's like that, that won't happen because they wouldn't put them number one in this hypothetical, but like, I don't know. I don't know whether it's, whether it's undefeated or one loss, how insane would it be if all conference champions had the same record? Yeah. I think we could (laughs) that way. And honestly, what you've seen out of the PAC 12 this year compared to maybe the sec out of other years, the sec is a lot more transitive. I feel like, where it's, well, Alabama beat ranked Ole Miss, ranked Tennessee, ranked LSU, and then Georgia beat them, so now we just give Georgia those wins. You know what yeah. I mean? Well, yeah. the Pac-12 is kind of like, all right, here's the top five teams. I play you this week, you this week, you this week, you this week. And what's your record straight up against them? Um, obviously, the Big Ten isn't that deep, but guess what? Michigan plays Penn State and Ohio State every year, both ranked inside the top ten this year. You're able to point to that. It's not, It's not. oh, well, Michigan doesn't get the chance to play Penn State, but Ohio State beat Penn State, and then Michigan beats Ohio State, so let's just give them the Penn State win as well. I think that's the, the really the only thing that we got. Not the only thing, because the Pac-12 has been really good, but that is where the body of work of the Pac-12, and honestly, they just switched from last year, kind of odd in their last year. Now they have the two best teams playing in the conference tournament. Last year, we're, t- we're having this conversation last year, well, USC's in the South, and Washington, Oregon, and Oregon State are all in the North. So USC's probably coasting to the Pac-12. And Utah. And Utah. So USC's then coasting. Hey, you're going to play week 13. You're going to play in the conference championship. They don't have the schedule that they do. Where So that's a lot more interesting now. 
granted, Georgia does have the opportunity to play Tennessee. Um, I honestly have that um, on my on my upset watch, especially with Brock Bowers going down. Um, but I, you know, it's interesting. Uh, the the SEC is just a lot more transitive, and you know, if you're going to make, you know, Kirby Smart was up there saying rank every SEC team. Maybe we should rank every Pac-12 team, honestly, because yeah, know, that was an absurd statement. Third take. So it's so absurd to say that now. Like, yeah, like well, maybe maybe, you know, there have been years where that would be a not a, you know, a true statement, but a more valid statement like this is in recent memory. This was the, the, worst, the worst time to say it. <laughs> worst SEC comp like year overall for of all time. Uh, and that I can remember for Every sure. Team was remarkably underwhelming from the standard you would have them at. I feel like mm-hmm. Kentucky is worse than the standard they should be. At. Florida is. I think Tennessee is. I think LSU is. I think Ole Miss is really the only team really on par with exactly what you expect out of them. Oh, we lose to Bama. We beat a couple other Arkansas and ranked teams. Arkansas, that's another team. Arkansas is having a terrible year too. Yeah, the exactly. only team that has overwhelmed is Mizzou. Like, yeah, yeah. Missouri is the only one. <laughs> Missouri is the only team that has Texas A and M underwhelmed. Stink. Yeah, screw A and M. They yeah, I, they haven't won. They haven't won on the road in like two years. Ridiculous. It was like the two-year yeah. anniversary for Jimbo since he won out of uh, uh, the 12th man. I mean, it's just, just absurd. I, and he gets $10 million. It's fun. Uh, we can talk about it, but, you know, it's going to be fun for, for next year, obviously, with, you know, being able to see where, you know, you look at, you go over and you're going to pull up the AP top 25. I think right now you can look at even the top, I think you can look at the top 12 right now with Oregon State coming in at the at the end of that and saying, I think any one of those could win a national championship. I think this is the only time that I can remember being able to look at the AP poll and say, wow, these are really good teams through and through that ha- a couple of them haven't been tested, but you're starting to see those tests come their way and you know, it's interesting and it makes me excited for next year, but it also has me kind of dreading the Armageddon. I think we're going to see at the end of the season. And I remember saying this last year and it obviously didn't work out. And there's still a lot of ball left to be played uh, between five and six games for each team being played. So, uh, you know, we'll see how it shakes out, but it's interesting. It really is. In a weird way, I'm, I'm almost relieved that, Notre Dame lost to Louisville now. Yeah. So no. that I won't have to, you know, lose my mind if a one loss, you know, Notre Dame team that lost to Ohio State just has to be left out because that that might kill me. So I, I'm almost it's almost relieving that, you know, the next time we're in the college football playoff is the twelve team, um, the twelve team format. Because like the gut, the gut wrenching feeling that some of these fan bases are gonna have in two months' time is gonna be just overwhelming for some, you know. Um, and it sucks. That that is why, and it always circles back to how flawed a system it is. And and it, you know, the argument that it's better than it was holds zero water. Because, yeah, it used to be terrible. It's still terrible because you can play a perfect season and still not get a chance. 
that makes some that makes it inherently bad mm-hmm. is that there you can play a perfect season still this year you could play a perfect season and win a power five conference championship undefeated still on the table and not get a chance to play for a national championship that means it is a bad system you went from a bad system to a bad system to a bad system the 12 team system is a good system because there there won't be 13 teams that deserve to be playing for a national championship like there there just won't you know you, you could take the 13 team and maybe they had some good wins whatever like shut the fuck up like but 4 is such a stupid number two stupid number it does it doesn't you i i don't care if it went from stupid to less stupid it needs to go from stupid to smart or Working. bad to good you know what Come i mean on. so if if that happened it if that happens where one of the every power five na- uh conference champion is undefeated like god bless the fans the players the player's parent, everyone invested in that program that will be left out. God bless. I I would love to jump in with a with a different kind of hypothetical that I think is a is is more real that necessarily will happen. Um, uh, I'm wondering with if we get a kind of a cannibalization, so to say, out of the out of the Pac-12, where we feel confident in being able to eliminate the Pac-12 as a whole. And then we're able to look at, okay, Texas beats Oklahoma. I'd st- I'd put Texas above Oklahoma as a 12-1 and Big 12 champion. What if Bama beats Georgia, though? So I'm putting – I I'd, and then we got your Big Ten champion, let's call it Michigan slash Ohio State. You got them in. You're going to put Bama in because they just went 12-1 and and won the SEC championship. Does Georgia go from being one all year to being on the outside looking in? Can you see well, them sliding from one to five? Wouldn't in that theoretical because then then you got Florida you, State. As well, you have Florida State and and then so it's vying for that last yeah, spot. I, mean, you got I would put. I mean, Oklahoma has a win over Texas. How would they be left out over Georgia? Who well, it doesn't I'm have one good Texas win. Texas beats Oklahoma for the Big Twelve championship. But in in the scenario where they both have one loss and they're both their conference championship game losers. How does Oklahoma get left out and Georgia get put in over them? Well, I, I personally think Texas would get in over Oklahoma if they beat them head to head. Oh yeah. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Georgia's out. Yeah. I was thinking, yeah. Okay. Or just slide out because then you start looking at Texas and saying, well, Texas is then the only team. Oh, Texas is definitely in then. then And we see a slide from Georgia from one to five, which, I don't think has ever, ever, ever happened. You normally see if you're if you're one and you're playing and you're undefeated and in, in, in barring a fifty-six to zero blowout, you you can pretty much pack your bags. You know you're going to the playoff. I think it's just yeah. so I think that is is kind of a more realistic Armageddon, the term I've been using, where we see, holy shit, Texas is then at that point the only one who's beaten a playoff team in, in Bama. And I think you just got to slide the dogs out. I think you have. To. Yeah. No. It be the the only correct thing to do is for them to drop out. Yeah. Because because they just what do they have then? If if Georgia doesn't win the the conference championship there this year, what they do they have? That's it. They have a win against Tennessee. Think about that. <laughs> that like, was underwhelming. That, if you don't, if Georgia doesn't walk in 
to the to selection day with you know and you know it's it's like turning in turning in your homework you know teachers at the door collecting the homework you're walking in hey good morning mrs johnson you give it up if if Georgia's showing up without that sec championship in their hand get the fuck out of here dude like yeah. if if they were put in if a one loss Georgia without an SEC championship is in this year, I would lose my mind because that means that there's probably three other one loss teams that that are not in the playoff that are also better. Yeah. You know, there's probably six to seven one loss teams with a better resume, maybe more in that scenario. And that would be. I mean, you North honestly, one of those teams, 11 honestly, and one lost to a playoff team. Honestly, I changed my mind. That should happen just to put the cherry on top of this pile of shit that was the college football playoff. Yeah. Put a one loss Georgia team that did nothing except, you know, oh, they, oh, 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 I'm sorry. I'm sorry. They also, they, they handled Kentucky. I'm sorry. I forgot about that. They yeah. handled Kentucky and they, and they beat Tennessee. Like, oh my God, I'm getting on my knees currently, college football playoff committee. Like, so I agree. I'm glad we all agree on that. Let's hope they do the right thing. Um, honestly, that is where where I'm kind of headed at. Um, you know, as far as those one loss team goes, I mean, and I did preface this by saying the Pac 12 would cannibalize itself, but I mean, you'd be looking at 11 and one UNC, you'd be looking at 11 and one Ohio State slash Michigan State or uh, Ohio State, excuse me. You'd be looking at one loss Oklahoma, who only lost their conference championship game, and then you'd have one loss Texas. I mean, if all those teams are looking at one loss UNC, yeah. two possible two one loss Pac twelve teams, like yeah. and all of those teams would have a better resume. So I think Georgia, you know, and I honestly, I, I, I saw before the season because I, I did take this line. I saw their their win total was projected at eleven and a half. It was plus money. It was plus one ten. With Bowers going out, I think Vegas always wins, and I think they drop one at Tennessee. I think the Vols want it back from last year. I know they haven't been a great football team this year, but, hell, Georgia hasn't been that great. They've been underwhelming, and, and to, to my standards at least, and or at least to to the number one ranking standards, which I think you know comes with it. So, they looked like number one one week this year, and it was against yeah. Kentucky. One so, week. It's Two interesting, and a half months. but uh, as, as you know, when we did this first episode and I think we all threw out our playoff and we all, at least I did, I parlayed it. I, I got Michigan, Florida State, I got um, Georgia, and I got Alabama. Michigan. I think, that take, I think that's dead with. I think so. I think Damn, can, that, that would have been a good hit. <laughs> I think we can hold on to it a little bit because knowing the Big 12 and the Pac-12. Yeah, you need you need some of these teams to start dropping. Yeah, I mean something where K State beat someone or yeah, you need you need some of these you need some of these Big Twelve teams to grow up and beat Texas and Oklahoma back. Yeah, I think, and you know, honestly, um, because you know, I was I was out for a little bit where I I had two weekends where I just wasn't watching college football, so kind of removed from it a little bit. But seeing that right before I left, it was that that Texas Oklahoma game. I don't think Oklahoma's that good. I don't, I'm not, I, I, I don't, I really don't know how Texas lost that game. Frankly, um, they, they really had like four turnovers. Yeah. They shot they themselves in the foot. I mean, Quinn Ewers at the start of that game looked abysmal, but you know, it just, it just shocks me that, you know, before the season. And I think we even had Venables on the hot seat 
after one year and, you know, trying yeah. to bring good defense to the back or to the, to the big 12. I did not expect them to be in this position. And I think that's just the beauty of college football. But as I mentioned, we got five, six games left in this regular season for teams. Uh, and, and we've been hitting on it a lot, especially with the big 10 and the Pac 12 uh, with, with these end of the end of the season games, you know, just these stretches. Uh, I mean, USC has an absolute gauntlet, as I mentioned earlier in this episode to go through, Oregon State has, you know, two top 10 teams to end the season with. I mean, I think everyone's excited for this Ohio State Penn State game this season, both deep or this weekend. Both defenses look phenomenal. Um, it's it's in the shoe. I, I, I'm I wondering if Penn State's going to take the leap finally, or, or are they sick of swallowing the silver medal or the bronze medal every year, especially in not only in their conference, but on their side of the conference? Or I don't think you've really seen a team, you know, kind of do that consistently as they have. I think Ohio State might win by two touchdowns. To, Everything to be completely points. honest. Franklin, I saw another graphic where that guy Fuck has James one win. I'm going to be on Penn State. I think he has one win against like uh, a Big Ten team or uh, a ranked top ten team. Yeah, he's one in one in nine or something. Not to mention that I think he is. Ne- I think he has one win at Ohio State. No, I think he's he hasn't beat Ohio State. He beat Michigan once or no, something he, like that. He beat Ohio he's, State. He's Matt. due. He's and due. They, when, when Penn State <laughs> played uh, USC in that Rose Bowl with Saquon, they beat Ohio oh, State. That's, that's right. That was the game. That was yeah. his one win at Ohio State. But and then they had, remember a couple of years ago, they had that with Chase Young stop that. It was Saquon's uh, last year at Penn State where they ran that horrible play call on like fourth and two and, and Chase Young just broke it all up. And I mean, they were right there. They were leading the whole game. So I just think that's what Penn state does. Uh, He's very similar to Brian Kelly, like genuinely very similar, very similar career. I agree. Like always in the mix, always in the mix. And when the season's over, you're probably a top eight to 10 team in the country. But those games, those big ones, it's just you, you were close, close, but no cigar. And he's also kind of an ass clown like Brian Kelly too, yeah, yeah. as a person. Yeah, temperament. Yeah. I think I think the biggest thing with with uh, Franklin is he's gotten so much credence. And not that he's he's, you know, a bad coach. I don't like him at all, but not that he's a bad coach. I, I think he's gotten a lot of credence because of what he walked into. You know, like when he came to Penn State is the biggest factor in him. Like, they, you know, I mean, oh. do I do I have to? I don't have to get into the gory details of what was going on at Penn State, um, but just about as terrible a situation as you can have. Michigan State is now looking down the barrel of of a situation, not as bad, but bad. And when you when you start there. You win, you win the hearts of a lot of people when you're able to, you know, make this slow climb back to um, supremacy, which obviously Penn State, one of the most storied programs in, in college football history. Um, but yeah, Remember I his way there. Remember the one year Ohio State jumped them by not playing in the Big Ten championship? I mean, <laughs> I would have been I would have probably drove down to wherever the committee is and shot whoever made that decision. If I was James Franklin, I mean, they beat the team and then they jumped up. 
how 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 in the world does that happen? And you know, we've we've discussed the problem CFP, baby. so much that it's just you know it's just beating a dead horse at this point. But I, I I'm I'm seeing another if I look at the Big Ten and the Big Ten East specifically. I just think they're they're ready for another bronze medal. I I really do. I just think Ohio State and Michigan possess the same caliber of defense. I do think that Penn State's might be a little bit better than Ohio State's a little bit, but I think the offenses just blow theirs away. Um, the only fun thing I will say about James Franklin is, did you see his press conference where he was like, "My my skin is literally crawling." Did you see that? It was. I don't think I did. No. Oh my God, it was hilarious. Some guy asked him a question. He was like, do you ever just tell Drew Allard or just like, hey, we need a shot downfield, like just throw it, like, you know, give your guy a chance. And he was like, it, like it wasn't calibrating with his football mind. Like that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. He was like, my skin is literally crawling thinking about telling my quarterback to do that. Absolutely hilarious. Highly recommend checking it out. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of rethinking my Penn State bet after hearing that James Franklin's kind of a clown. So <laughs> he's, we'll he's see, similar. He is more similar to Kelly than even I thought with that comp. Like he's always got this somewhat confused look on his face. You know, there's just something that, yeah, so, something that's like, you know, what am I doing here right now? Kind of thing where like it just Brian Kelly was very famous for the you know the unfortunate camera pans to him like he always looked like a, a fish out of water like deer in headlights kind of thing just shock and awe whatever and I, it's, Franklin's been similar and a, a lot of that is in part because they've lost similar games like that you know a lot of reactions come you'll have similar reactions when similar things are happening on the field and those are two teams that a, a lot of there's been a lot of similarities in in pretty devastating game scripts that they've been a part of but yeah i mean th- this is the first one the first big big 10 game of the season pretty much yeah i mean the whole big 10 has really looked like a joke outside of those three teams and i i saw i saw a great uh graphic on twitter which was ranking the 665 college football teams have did I you saw, guys see this awesome. um and south dakota state was I believe it, it was the highest FCS by far. And he had written the same guy in that thread had written a, a full article about South Dakota state and how everything in his model, the um, all the peripherals would have them winning the big 10 West this year, South Dakota state would win the big 10 West by like, all these uh, power indexes, ranking systems, and like he stands by it. And this is clearly a guy, a numbers analytics guy. Like if you're taking the time to make an Excel sheet with 665 cells, and uh, I forget who they the the model had Michigan at number one, and I forgot what the last D three the name of the last D three team that was on. Oh, yeah, it was like, but oh. it had. At Michigan, Fitchton State or something, Fitchburg State, <laughs> Fitchburg State. <laughs> it had uh, Michigan as 165 point favorites in in the model at home, so I guess they're getting three. So it's really a, a 162 at a neutral site. <laughs> but yeah. um, <laughs> but I, it it made me think like if if you're playing like it's the national championship, 
and Fitchburg State comes to the big house, is it would it be possible to win by 165? Like you'd score every play probably. I think the sheer size of Michigan's offensive line, I think, would harm the defensive line. Like I, I it, actually, yeah, there it would, would be, be a, so unethical be, to let that happen. Need, I think you would need a convoy of ambulances to to show up there just to be ready to just haul bodies off. I mean, <laughs> I, I just, I, I think it would just be you. I mean, the quarterback, you would, they'd probably be on their fourth quarterback. I mean, what, the would it matter? Would it matter? If you took Fitchburg State and they were allowed to play with 20 guys on both sides of the ball, like what I don't think it would really make a difference. Like I mean, 20 a- guys on defense, 20 guys on defense against Michigan, 20 Fitchburg State players against Michigan. Um, I get offense, they can have 15. I don't, uh, I, I mean, I think it's, I think it's still like a, like, a huge blowout. <laughs> I don't even think it's. I do too. I I I don't think there's a, a there's a number of them you could put on the field to like get a four down four down series stop. Do. Like I really don't like the the drop off between that. Like I saw this this thing where it's like point two eight percent of all college or all high school athletes in America like play Division One football. 0.28%. You're going up against the 0.28%. Not even that, like the one top, like 1%. I mean, we're talking like Michigan's like, you know, one of the best teams in the country. Going up against like the guy who just, I want to keep the game us. 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 Your flag football team from senior year. Yeah. Slate. Like they're, they're, those are the guys who are like, man, I just love ball. Like I just want to play four more years. Yeah. Oh, yeah care like i just want to play ball for four more years those guys would die i just i, I really do think they would die <laughs> i think fitchburg state has played a tougher schedule so far than michigan though yeah <laughs> maybe honestly uh you know i will say unlv is a one loss ball club i don't know they are they are make a make a good point I was uh, I was seeing I was seeing memes like, uh, "Welcome to game day at at Fitchburg State for the the Michigan." Uh, can you imagine just uh, where even is that? Who knows? It, but, no, it would be it would be saying it right. Like, are we even sure it's it's Fitchburg? It is. I looked. It is Fitchburg okay. State. So it it's, would it's be, a real deal place. On like a five minute rant, just calling them the complete wrong name. Fitchburg State's be... in Massachusetts. It would be so, so incredibly unethical to let that game happen. Like, a- arrests should be made. Like, because kids would, the quality of life of those kids would go to a level in which they're probably not going to be able to work at a professional proficiency. Like, they'd be so banged up. Um, they None of them would ever be able to play football again, most definitely. Like if Michigan was playing it, you know, like it, they're playing Ohio State. Like it would be so, so bad that that you couldn't let you couldn't in good in I good have, faith let I that happen. Two, two friends who played low tier D two ball. They played at Northwood University, which is in uh, near Midland, Michigan, kind of in the middle of the state. Can we check their ranking? 
Mart, real quick, if you got it. Yeah, up. honestly, let's see what the what the T Wolves are at the Timbies. <laughs> what I, what's the name of it? Uh, Northwood. Northwood. So, and, and just an it's funny this came out because I I want to say maybe last year or a year before we were talking about like what is the disparity between divisions and you know obviously in D two you have like in Michigan you know I've seen like Grand Valley and Ferris State play ball before you got some dudes out there you got some athletes out there like some of those teams were ranked above uh were ranked I don't think any D two team was ranked above a D one team but they were very close. I think you could see it. You could see a game between like a Massachusetts and a Grand Valley, but that is saying Massachusetts would still beat like the D two champion. He was telling me like the disparity going down to D three is basically like, oh, you want to play? Cool. Here, here's 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 a helmet. Like, like what what's your position? It's like T ball. Like you know, and obviously you know those guys are still playing. What's your position? We have we we have D three for a reason. You ever play quarterbacks on? Yeah, yeah. Hey, Jimmy, you're playing quarterback this game. Taylor's dead uh, after playing Michigan. But he said, like, they would beat the absolute shit out of a D3 team. Like, saying, like, I think that's a very – it's crazy even trying to conceptualize 165-point spread. I don't even know if there's enough time to do that. That would be the one thing. I would bet the time. Just give me the points and the time. Yeah. Because it's like Madden, right? Like, how many can you possibly score if you – you're saying like they would probably beat a team in D3 by like, you know, four or five touchdowns. And again, this is like a lower, like they played in the GLIAC up until like last year, two years ago. So they were playing like top of the top of the line D2 teams. So D3 is just is just not doing it. I, I don't think Fitchburg, um, I, I don't even think if you gave them like prime Jerry Rice and Deion Sanders, they could. They could even make any noise here. I, I really just think 165 is probably an on-par line. Maybe in the old college football where the clock isn't running up until last two minutes, because I, I do think time has to be a factor. I mean, Donovan Edwards could only score so many 80-yard touchdowns. Um, but I, I honestly think it would be more on the defensive side. Like I, I think they would be just so lost throwing interceptions. I think every hit would result in a fumble that they just would give up. Michigan's offense might only score once, like when they get the, you know, because the defense would score every single time. The the defensive lineman could pick up the quarterback and run him into (laughs) (laughs) the other end zone as a safety. (laughs) Definitely. Special teams, Um, I think, because you know how many punts? I mean, Fitzgerald will go three and out every damn time. I think I think you'd have maybe that'd be a win to get the four down with the I think ball. You'd maybe have five. You get a punt off. <laughs> um, I I'll say this. Um, my sixth grade year, uh, I was playing quarterback for the Niles North Junior Vikings, and we played at Benedictine University against. I want to say, a, maybe Arlington Heights or, um. Whoever the team was, um, we played this team, um, (laughs) and we had three plays in the playbook. Like we had, we had got three plays down. It was a scrimmage game before the start of the season. It was Naperville. It was a Naperville team, actually. But um, me and my buddy Reed combined uh, for a tackle on the first play of the game from scrimmage. We didn't make another tackle the rest of the first half. I believe it was 
52 to zero and they they stopped the game at halftime uh we had three plays so our coach was calling in one two or three um one was a counter one was a dive and one was a little pop pass to our tight end and um yeah i would i i was getting hit like brett Favre in the nfc championship against new orleans like i i could barely walk for a couple weeks and so that is us playing we're in the same league right like this team is in our league and we we're on pace to lose by a hundred. So, I mean, if we're talking the the disparity would be much greater between Fitchburg State and Michigan, and we were on pace to lose by a hundred. So, you take away all the the ethics and you take away the games or the sportsmanship completely, right? It's like a vacuum, right? You're putting these teams in a vacuum, basically. And you take away, you know, like, oh, we're not going to run it off. You take away all those factors. Um, I, I honestly don't know which side I'd be on. I, I would, I would tend to think that Fitchburg State might not even get to a fourth down. It's possible. Like they probably just, their best bet would probably be just knee, like knee it out. That that would probably keep the game the closest that's if they the just. Only way to cover. That's how they cover. Yeah. 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 So assuming they're trying to win also would it that would have to be the case. They're not trying to cover. So they're trying to like push the ball down the field, as funny as that sounds. But yeah, I mean I don't know if they get a fifth down. Fitchburg, I, really... I looked up their schedule. They lost forty to seven to Framingham State. <laughs> Whoever okay. that is. I am I'm I would humor the minus one sixty five. I would. I would. I think that they – I don't even know if they'd get a first down. I think every time they would drop back to pass, you'd probably get a second to pass. If it's completed, your guy dies. And they wouldn't even have to touch the quarterback because the O-linemen would be – there'd be three O-linemen on top of the quarterback in the – yeah. And then I think – so then you got to punt, and you're – by that logic, you're, you're punting inside your own 30 <laughs> – Every single time, I think Michigan returns that to their 30 or 40 at least every time. I, I honestly think we'd see about seven special teams touchdowns. I think we'd see about another yeah. seven to ten on defense. <laughs> we'd see- what do you, yeah, what what kind of athlete caliber athlete you think is on Fitchburg State's punt coverage? <laughs> <laughs> I'm bad. We're better. We're all better athletes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> like Dynasty and NCAA football, they strictly recruit the athletes, and they're all .25 stars. Not even not even a half star. <laughs> maybe maybe that's – I've been, you know, career change. Maybe go walk on at Fitchburg State. Try yeah. to get this Michigan game to happen. <laughs> People want to see it. New, new and inventive way to kill yourself. <laughs> if these games started existing, but I, I I say that's a good point to wrap uh wrap this one. A fun tangent to end on hypothetical uh best team in in D one playing worst team in D three uh results in forty casualties. Uh, five <laughs> yeah, it'd be yeah, it'd be like Normandy. <laughs> oh God, absolutely. Um, All right, big big week coming up. We'll learn a lot about the Big Ten this week, and uh, yeah, we'll be back. Kirk Cousins had a good year. Quavo gets cooking.